From the Green Velvet Couch, this is Shelley O'Neill. I'm the therapist, corporate wellness consultant, and the owner of the Six Facility Private Behavioral Health and Psychiatry Healthcare Group. On this podcast, I'll be bringing you inspiring stories and valuable insights from people who have harnessed their inner strength to overcome obstacles and to achieve success. I believe no matter what challenges come our way, we're designed to conquer them. Together, we'll explore the transformative power of resilience, cultivate a mindset that embraces growth, and uncover strategies that will allow us to face life's challenges head on, one episode at a time. Hello and welcome to From the Green Velvet Couch. This is Shelley O'Neill. I'm so excited and honored today to be here with Mari McGarvey, and I'm going to let her um, share a little bit about her bio and her experience, but we're super, super excited to have you here today. Thank you. I, I just know that health and wellness is just a passion of yours and then working with organizations and companies. Um, and I want to hear about your Google leadership experience as well. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be here with you. And this is a really exciting opportunity for me and to meet you and to spend this time with you. So thank you so much. Well, just to begin a little bit to tell you about me, my background, I am a native Paducan, was born here and went to college and came home after college to work. And I was one of four children. I had a sister who was born with spina bifida. So when I came home from college, I, I did that largely because I wanted to be with my family, help care for her if needed, and just to be you know, here again. I have two brothers and they had left, they were older. I was by far the youngest by about eight years from my closest um, sibling. So they had already moved. And so I came home and began to kind of build a life here. And that started with finding work and uh, hopefully a career that I thought was going to be meaningful. I started working at a local bank, a community bank here. It was then Citizens Bank, back several iterations before U.S. Bank, and had a wonderful 12 years there learning so much about the banking industry. Now, let me offer this disclaimer. I haven't had a math class since 10th grade in high school. If you ask me to do any mathematical calculations, I'd need to get my calculator out. So math, economics, these kinds of things were not something I studied. And so in Paducah, though, at the time, there weren't a lot of opportunities for young women right out of college. And, and so that was one, however. And so I started in that career there and began to have opportunities because people were, were very good to me. And I had opportunities there to learn a lot about how a bank functions. So fast forward those 12 years and an opportunity came up at Paducah Bank here, obviously in Paducah, and moved to Paducah Bank. And within about six months, moved into the human resources department there. I had studied paralegal studies in college. So I thought I wanted to go down a law path and had a chance to do that for about 10 months with a law firm here and um, great experience realized you know, what I studied in school was not what I actually wanted to do. But I was able to use what I learned in terms of understanding law to apply it then to human resource law and understanding, you know, how to create an environment that is, you know, complies legally and ethically and morally and, and how to create a, that sort of environment in the workplace. Had the most wonderful um, leaders and mentors at Paducah Bank who gave me the opportunities to really learn how people 
we humans, how we tick, what we need, and to be able to create an environment that would impact culture around care and creating safe spaces for people to learn, grow, make mistakes, and get beyond those mistakes. And so I've been there now 28 years and been just the, one of the most fulfilling experiences of my life to get to build this career there with all of these people supporting me and my having the opportunity to support them also. Well, you know, when we talked about you potentially coming on the show, what I was so excited about was, you know, you're such a good example of, you know, successful and happy professionals and people, but people don't just wake up that way. And I love your story and your journey. And that's really what our whole podcast is about is how do happy and successful people, how do they, they get to that place? And, we'll, and we're still on that, that journey. But yeah, so you really then pretty quickly after about 12 years were put in a place where you were, you were really helping as the HR director, helping employees not only function at work, but function overall. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Going back to, I'm reflecting a little bit about those early days when I was just trying to make sure that I did everything right. (laughs) <laughs> that that I made sure we were creating an environment where, where people you know, were seen and felt like they were as important to the to the bank as they in fact were. I wanted them to know mm-hmm. that and feel that. Through the journey of that, recognizing what you just described, that there are ebbs and flows to to every aspect of our lives and in most especially our work. I think a lot about what work is and what it means to each of us and how it fulfills a sense of belonging and purpose in our lives. And, and work is, you know, we hear a lot and have for some time about work-life balance. I think of it more as work-life harmony. I read that. Ooh, I love that terminology. Yes. I wish it was mine. I read it somewhere about three or four years ago. I thought, that's, that's really it. It's how do we find the harmony between the work that's really important to us, how that informs our whole life, mm-hmm. and then how our whole life informs our work. Because we are whole people when we go to work. We, when we live our whole lives, we don't, we're not compartmentalized um, as much as maybe we were told that early on in our careers, you know, leave your personal stuff at the door when you come to work. That's not realistic and it's not healthy. And so learned early on that we needed to ensure that the space that we created was one in which people could bring their whole selves in. And they were able to know that if they were struggling with something, if they were carrying something, we recognize that that impacts then their ability to focus, their ability to collaborate, their ability to you know, really bring their best um, work product as well. So creating that space was really important. But to your to your point, your question is is you're right. We don't just wake up one day some sense of okay now I'm successful or now I'm complete or now I'm whole. This continues, I believe, always, hopefully, for each of us. If we've learned everything we're here to learn, then there's no reason for us to be here anymore. Right. You know, it's it's the whole experience of life is a journey. And so for me, it wasn't any different. You know, it's the same as for everyone. As I mentioned, my family, you know, I had a sister who was differently able than the rest of us. And I love that 
from different AA builders who disabled. You're dealing with a, a chronic illness. Absolutely, absolutely. Not only the experience of living with her and watching her live her life, but watching my mother care for her always. My sister lived to age 42. And my mother, when she became pregnant with Martin and my sister was born, at that point, as a 26-year-old young woman, my mother had to change her entire path for her life because she committed to the care of this child of hers. And she already had one son. And so her everything she did then at that point was for the care of her family. And not, as I mentioned, the path that she anticipated in her early life. And so for me, when I came along, watching her make the commitment and the sacrifice that she did really, I think, informed how I was going to approach then how I lived and interacted with others. The, the moments I do recall very vividly of being you know, angry at you know, the creator, which is normal, which I learned later was normal. Why this to, you know, why is this this situation for my sister? Why is this situation for my mother? My father, of course, caring for the family as well. And learning from that anger and that frustration a little, actually a lot more, about how much we have control over and how much we don't. And then it becomes, I believe, a matter of choice about how we want to think about what we're seeing and what we're perceiving and how we want to apply judgment to a situation and how we then want to think about, okay, do I want to feel anger about this or do I want to feel gratitude? Do I want to feel a sense of, you know, peace about it or do I want to carry, you know, this, this frustration out into all my relationships and every, every choice in between all of that. And so I think that's what that really taught me is how much our choice of how we think then determines how we live. So, so yeah, I think that's how it started for me. And I could have allowed that to make me unhappy. What I decided to do, and, and I, I did read a lot. I, I'm, a, I'm a, a, a bit of a voracious reader. I don't read any fiction. I, I want to read real stuff. And so what that really did for me was taught me how to discover how I did, in fact, want to move forward with my life and, and that it is everything that we do and encounter is a matter of choice about how we want to relate to that situation. Sure. And it could be that anger is the right emotion at that moment. You know, like this anger about correcting an injustice or fighting yeah, wrong. I have learned that sort of stepping outside of myself and looking at my thoughts and deciding, all right, do I want that thought to inform a behavior that moves this way or a behavior that moves that way? If I go this way, that could lead to more more peace, maybe, but it, but this way could lead to more anger, pain, pain, suffering. And so that really was sort of the, the catalyst for me to watch and, and, and learn. And from there, you know, I'm married and my son was four years old when his father and I divorced. So that 
that experience also was an opportunity for me to decide how I wanted to perceive things that I felt at the time were happening to me. I love that you're, you're sharing your story because the fact is that life happens to all of us. Right. I, I say this often, a lot of the, the speaking events, that if you can breathe, if you can blink, life's going to happen to us. Yes. And it may um, be something like a chronic illness. It may be a divorce or whatever that is. But when it happens to us, it never, ever looks the same. So then choosing to go ahead and, and designing what you want your life to look like, knowing that, you know, life can mess that up and deal me a different part. But there's beauty in the brokenness. Yes. There's beauty in the pain. Love that. And yes. there's there's healing and there's there's so much happiness because I always think life like it's like a beautiful quilt. Yes. You know, like a patchwork quilt. And there's beautiful pieces and there's some pieces they're just kind of scraps and leftovers and you kind of put them in there, you know. Right. Uh, my grandmother quilted and she would she would use anything. We we're very practical Irish family. So I'm like, oh I think that's so and so's PJs there. And maybe my, my grandfather's t shirt. But I love yeah. that. That's great. But, but it does at the end life life is like that patchwork quilt mm -hmm. and there's beautiful pieces and there's pieces that aren't beautiful but when you put it together it's colorful yes yes and it's taking care of you and mm -hmm. it's made you who you are and it's you know it just it's just part of you absolutely you reminded me of something you when i think about emotions and i think about all the emotions that we feel there are so many emotions that that we think we have to feel either this or that as if there's some duality, you know, and, and if I'm, if I'm not sad, then I'm happy. If I'm not happy, then I'm sad. All these emotions, the, gosh, I don't know how many emotions have been discovered, you know, but, but, you know, more than a hundred, you know, of course, different emotions can live within us simultaneously. They can all coexist and they can sort of rise and fall and, you know, and, and ebb and flow and sh sort of show themselves a little bit more or a little bit less at certain moments in our lives when our thoughts start to impact those emotions. And yeah, they're not exclusive. They're not exclusive. <laughs> Absolutely. You were describing the quilt and the pieces of that. And I was also reminded of a, there's this beautiful sculpture. I wish I could remember where it is. And it's a, a woman, gosh, I, I I wish I had it, but she is on, it's a sculpture, she's on her knees, she's, she's open, and her chest is broken open, and light is pouring out, and I'm, I can't even recall in this moment what the name of the sculpture is, I, it's in there, but I love that because the light to me feels like it's joy. You know, happiness can sometimes be predicated on some circumstance that is working well for us. I'm happy right now because this is going well. And we can reframe that if we choose to, you know, this circumstance can be something I learn from. I, I can, it can inform how I, you know, choose to you know, treat others, how I choose to treat myself. And in the midst of trying to discover all that joy can still live. So for me, this sense of joy even in the midst of the things that you would absolutely change, the things that you want to be different, the things that feel broken, joy can still be in the midst of all of that to help us find some, some peace and wholeness within, the, within all of it simultaneously swirling around us and within us. And I think more people need to hear that. Yeah. And I remember, uh, you know, I was a single mom after getting divorced 
had been married about 17 years and then was divorced for 12. And that was the most difficult time. You know, my, my children were all pretty young. No one was out of the house or anything. But looking back, it was such a fun time. Sure, yes. So when you talk about things not being exclusive, it was fun. I had great friendships. I did things I had wanted to do, and I was always looking for the most practical and economical way to do something because you know, I had these these kids. But so it was so difficult, and there was so much pain sure. that it came with that. But at the same time, there were all these good things, and a lot of the a lot of the friendships I have today came from that because I, I developed a tribe. Of course, you know? sure. And I know, sure. like at work, you kind of do the same thing. You teach people to develop that tribe and to surround themselves with healthy people. and Absolutely. And, and to do that in the workplace as well as in their personal lives. Mm -hmm. And one way we try to do that is provide resources for the members of our team to, to have access to any, anything that they think might help them develop those kinds of relationships. Mm -hmm. We actually, about five or six years ago, it was, oh, it was a, a couple of years before COVID, you know, we had created, we being members of our team, employees there, who created seven different areas of focus for wellness. And within those seven different areas, providing and identifying resources for our people to take advantage of in, in the event that they found that they needed you know, resources to help them with their physical well-being or resources to help them with their financial well-being or resources for their emotional well-being and so on. So those seven areas of wellness really were sort of the framework for us to, to know how we needed to make sure we were providing the benefits that our people needed to be able to thrive, you know, in the workplace, but to take all of that and apply it in their lives as well to whatever degree was beneficial for them. And, and so those seven areas of wellness, in COVID, everything became about physical wellness and mental and emotional wellness, of course. And, and as we know, since COVID, physical continues and mental is, is really showing itself as a, an area that we all need resources for. And, and again, those areas of wellness don't exist on their own either. They're, they all impact each other, our mental well-being, our emotional well-being, our social well-being, all impacts how we're feeling physically, and 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 so on. So yeah, yeah. It, and I I always share, you know, as a therapist, what I saw for many years is someone would come, would come into my office with depression, anxiety, or, or something like that, and as that improved, their emotional health improved. Then we had to focus on their spiritual health, their financial health. Maybe they had extreme credit card debt and a credit score and that their housing was an issue. So then they had financial issues or they weren't, you know, when people are depressed and anxious, the last thing they want to do is move. Right. So then their, their physical health would be impacted because they weren't walking or they weren't, you know, eating healthy. So it was affecting. And that's when I really started developing the, or referring to the four uh, pillars of wellness, because I'm like, okay, we're, we're doing well with your emotional health. But when you walk out my door, you know, you're still dealing with, you know, housing, credit, physical health issues. You have no spiritual health whatsoever. You, you, you feel very abandoned. Of course. And you have no, no type of, of spiritual faith mm -hmm. at, at all. And one of the things in working with people who have gone through really tragic things is uh, I've noticed that people that get through that 
and go on to have um, a wonderful life, have some type of spiritual wellness. And it may be that they don't go to church or it may be because they're super involved in their church, but they have some sort of spiritual basis, foundation, connection. Absolutely. That has been a really significant aspect of my personal experience as well. So I, I appreciate your, your bringing that to the conversation because I went through a divorce in 20, oh gosh, in 2002, 2002, and had been in a church always and been a member, sang in the choir, and did, did all those things. And it had a lot of meaning for my life through those, those years. And gosh, the, the church I was a member of, my parents, my father had been a lifelong member there. In fact, his mother, my grandmother, had been a lifelong member. So we had this long history there. And when I divorced, that dynamic sadly changed within that particular congregation. And so I, you know, I consider myself to be a Christian. I left at that point and moved to the Episcopal Church, the Episcopal faith, and I've been a member of an Episcopal, Episcopal parish here ever since. But in those 20 years since that happened, 21 years, I have, I've had this wonderful, fulfilling opportunity to open my awareness to beliefs and systems even that inform my spirituality beyond a religious structure. And for me, while I, I, I am so grateful for my Episcopal um, parish and the people there, and it is very important to me, at the same time, I've explored other ways of thinking about having a creator and whether we call that God or source or, or whatever, whatever that may be, each one, of course, must decide that for themselves. And and so the last 20 years have been this wonderful journey for me to be able to say, okay, I'm not bound by one particular construct. I can explore spirituality for me in this way or in that way as well. And I have read so much. I really dove into the last, particularly those first 10 years or so, into you know, learning about other ways of thinking about spirituality and how we care for each other. And I've learned so much from one of my favorite authors and speakers is Eckhart Tolle. Oh, and I love yes, him. Oh my goodness. Yes. His teachings have had a huge yes. impact on me. And I heard him speak in 2018. And so I've continued to and, and do continue and, and I do expect to continue trying to keep that that awareness open to learn right. more because I just have my experience. That's all I have. And I can learn from everyone and their experience. And so I do want to, and I intentionally try to stay open to learning from others and their experiences as well. I would have identified very religious until I went through a divorce. And throughout that journey, I would now think of it spiritual, you know, and that's probably in my mind, they're very different things. Yes. You can be religious and be spiritual at the same time. But before, I was really good at being involved in church. I wasn't so good about developing my own faith and my own connection. So how did it How did it kind of transpire from your job? Because I know you did the Google Leadership. So was your health and wellness journey, I know it started with like your family. 
um, and then some of the things that you were going through. Sure. But then was it just magnified by work or was it your own things that were going on? Sure. Great question. I was really fortunate, still am, to be in an environment in which every member of our team is actually an owner of the company. One of the most powerful benefits that we have is employee ownership, literal stock ownership. So it's a gift from the bank to us that we each own stock in the company. And so we're literally owners. And that then allows us to create this mindset of ownership. So it's a different dynamic than when one might go into work and, um, you know, I'm an employee, I clock in and out. And when I go home, I don't think about it anymore. So somebody it, else's problem, somebody else's problem. I'm off the clock, that kind of thing. It, this is more of a, all right, there are 157 of us uh, who are co-owners of this organization and everything that we do for each other and for our, our community and certainly our customers and clients. And so that, that began to sort of show that wellness in some form at the time I remember thinking, I don't know how it looks yet, but wellness and again, how we show up as whole people every day, that, that approach is going to differentiate us. I, I believe that it differentiates the experience of the people who are on the team and then how they interact with their families and friends. And, so I started to sort of notice this from an ownership perspective that well-being, whatever that meant to each person on the team, was going to be something that was going to help us be different and have a different experience for our people. So actually about that time, this was in 2015, I believe, about that time is when I learned about this school at Google. And this school is called Search Inside Yourself. So it was a curious play on words. Yeah, actually for Google. That's pretty insightful yeah. for all these yeah. computer engineers to figure this out. But what they did, in fact, um, I learned later, they discovered that they had all these brilliant people and, and you know, they could come in and do all the things that, that Google does in, in the world. And they sat down, they stared at a computer all day, and someone was right next to them on either side, but they didn't know how to collaborate with each other. They didn't, they didn't see each other as fellow human beings collaborating again toward an end. They just saw themselves as a set of skills, and I go in and I apply the skills. So Google created this approach. It's based on emotional intelligence. And um, they created this approach that they call mindfulness-based emotional intelligence. And they offered it within the company. It quickly became the most popular training and employee development opportunity that they had. And then discovered in about 2013 or 14 that they would offer it outside of Google. And uh, that's what they did. They created a separate nonprofit to offer it. And then allowed people from the world to apply to come to the school. How fabulous. I, I know, it's really cool. How long were you there? So as a whole year, I didn't, I didn't go and stay. I went back and forth. Okay. And over the course of a year, I went back and forth twice. Which yeah. city did you have? San Francisco. Okay. San Francisco. And the training institute was in the Presidio 
in San Francisco. I'm not that familiar with that, but it was in the Presidio down at the base of, that's a Golden Gate Bridge, right? That goes yeah. So it's at the, it was, I think, originally, or a military base of some kind. And so that's where all their training happened. Was wow. so it was amazing. I want to, I, I can't wait to tell you about the application process because there's something really cool. Well, tell me about the application process and how many people were in this program and yes. it was for a year. Yes. Yes. Tell me about that. So the process, when I, when I started looking into how does then one apply for this school, I learned that they ask just a series of open-ended questions. They, they wanted to know, you know less about your background per se, what you might typically ask someone relative to a resume, that kind of thing. It was more about your life and how you live your life because I, I believe they wanted to know that you were going to be someone who they could share all of this training with relative to emotional intelligence and you would, you would, be a, you would relate to it. That yeah. you, we want it just to be, we don't want it to be something on your resume that you yeah. came to our school. And so, so went through the series of the open-ended questions and then got to the last one. And it was as follows. It said, describe a moment in your life, a moment, an instant, an event in your life that changed the course of your life. And do that in two minutes and do that on a video. <laughs> that is the tall task. That's the tall task. And Powerful question. It really, really was. It was the one I had to really sit with for a little while to think about, wow, you know, there've been so many experiences in my life that I think changed the course of my life, but a moment, you know, the, maybe the most significant one. And finally identified what that was. And then to think about, okay, how do I talk about that in two minutes? And so here's what it was for me. And, and it was not a necessarily an obvious moment, but I was reading about trees, <laughs> all things. And I learned that aspen trees grow, they don't grow like um, trees, you know, in our yards, you know, here in Western Kentucky, an oak or a pine or a walnut that sort of grows on its own with its own root, roots and take out the tree, take out the roots, it's gone. Aspen trees grow in groves, so they're, they grow t together, and their root system is connected. There's one source of energy that feeds and nourishes the entire grove from the root system and the roots to every individual tree. That's all fascinating, isn't it? They're all connected to this one source of energy in the soil, in the earth, and that, that tree or that source then nourishes every tree. And if one tree in the grove suffers, if it's damaged in some way, you know, burned, you know, whatever it is, the entire grove suffers because the suffering of that tree goes down into its roots and it goes then into the source that feeds all the trees. And that metaphor, well, that reality that became a metaphor for me in terms of how I, I think about us humans that we all come from one source 
we all get our life and, and meaning and being from one source of energy. And if one of us is hurt, we are not separate from each other. When one suffers, we all suffer. Like generational trauma. Absolutely. Absolutely. Generational wealth. Yes. Generational, you know, generational opportunity. Yes. Generational poverty. Mm -hmm. And when we feel that we're suffering, then we interact with another person. Mm -hmm. That assessment or judgment of that suffering that we have impacts how we interact with that person. And then that person may then go and interact in a way that reflects what they just experienced with us. It's kind of like the butterfly effect, you know, what happens over here affects what happens, you know, over here. Mm -hmm. And that moment of just reading that in that, that book and understanding that we are all connected. There's, I've said this to people I know, and they probably think, what? <laughs> that there's really, this is my belief, there's really only one of us here. We're all manifest in 7 billion different forms, but there's one, there's one of us and that one is love. And that love then informs how all the individual reflections of it um, then move and interact and live um, in our societies. And so, yeah, so that was my, that was my moment. And I try to, I try to remember that when I, in my perfect humanness, <laughs> become frustrated, um, irritated, start to feel angry, whatever the emotion is I'm feeling, I try to, I try to remember now, this is your center. This is what you believe and know. And so remember that. Stop, um, breathe, and reconnect to what you know is, is true, what is, what is truth. And so from that, I, I, I was allowed then to go to the school. They accepted me. And I was one of 51 people from around the world, actually. The school, they had two schools. One was in San Francisco and the other was in Sydney, Australia. And I would have loved to have gone to Sydney, Australia, but the bank was kind enough to, uh, to pay for this for me. So I thought, ah, that, that's too much to ask. So I went to San Francisco, which was, of course, also wonderful. So over the course of a year, it was a year-long school. And over the course of that year, I went to San Francisco and back twice. And in between the two visits, there were weekly exercises and weekly workshops, and we were divided into different work groups, and we would connect virtually and, and work through different things. And so what we learned through the course of this year was the curriculum that Google had created for this mindfulness-based emotional intelligence. And then in teaching that to us, they allowed us to bring that curriculum back to our workplaces and um, to share it in, of course, our workplaces. And I've been doing that now since April of 2018. That's when we started. We do cohorts that last eight weeks. And we can, we can, we typically have, oh, seven to 10 members of our team go through each cohort. It's not required to participate. It's voluntary. But so far of our 157 people, 110, I believe, have been through it. So That's phenomenal. It's been wonderful. People want have, to have opted to, to do it. Absolutely. What are the results that you've seen in your company and then also in your 
in the employees' lives, their personal lives. Because what I always tell companies is uh, a healthy employee doesn't show up. A healthy person has to be present first. And if you're a healthy person, then you can be in a healthy employee. But mm-hmm. at 8 o'clock, you don't morph into someone that you're not. Right, right. Although we, we think we can, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work, work. that, <laughs> doesn't yeah, work we, that yeah, way. We've all tried it. That's work, right. Yeah. It's in the class, you know, we talk about it requires practice. Just like if you're a concert pianist, you know, it's, you have to practice. You know, how do you, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice, yeah. practice, practice. So, so this, this awareness of, well, self-awareness, how we're showing up, it requires practice. And one can participate in the eight week course, but unless it's something that each one decides to continue to integrate into their lives, and practice being aware of how they show up, you know, then, then it has the benefit of knowledge, but it doesn't have the benefit of, of true integration, you know, into how, how we live and, and interact with each other. And so we talk about that. And in fact, we have, we did take a little break during COVID because we couldn't sit in small spaces together. We had sort of a, did have, and they're getting ready to start again, I'm happy to say, a sort of a graduate level of the course okay. where we would meet once a month and everyone who'd been through the class would once a month have kind of a check-in and we'd talk about what's going well, what's, what are challenges right now, how are the practices that we learned integrating for you. And we're getting ready to start that again because we did take that break and had not had a chance to get that going again. But we'll we'll start that again actually this fall. But but the difference that I hear from those who've been through the class have been in the areas of, of just you know commenting around for those who went through it before COVID would say, I I don't know what I would have done in when COVID happened in terms of just fear and panic. And it, what we learned through the course really helped me have tools to be aware when I was panicking and when I was, was feeling concerned. One of the areas of focus in, in the class is around understanding our central nervous system and how our cognitive brain works in concert with the amygdala, you know, the fight, fight, fight or freeze, yes. fawn, stress response system. And so one of the things we talk a lot about is what they call the amygdala hijack, which as our stress response system that's been in us for 200 million years, that fight, flight, or freeze can make every decision for us if we allow it to. And so sometimes that doesn't work well. You know, we're, we're upset by an email we receive. And so we fire off you know, a response. We're Keyboard warrior. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Or we have a disagreement with someone and we yell back something we wish we hadn't. And so having an understanding of what's happening physiologically to us when we feel like there's a threat and recognizing, okay, I, I do need to stop. Uh, something the course calls a sacred pause. If I can take that sacred pause and really look at whether or not this is a a real threat or is it something I'm perceiving to be a threat because 
I don't know this person very well and making judgments about them. Or is it a threat because the last time someone said something like that to me, this happened. And so now I'm feeling defensive. And so just having an awareness of, of how we are functioning in our physical bodies in the world and how our stress response is there to take care of us. But we need to step outside of that and, and, and know that we have the power to make our own decisions for ourselves. And we don't have to let that pipe flight freeze or fawn mm -hmm. make those decisions right. if, we, if we will just stop and take that pause. And then we have some clarity, perhaps. Then we can make a decision that's better. You know, it's, it's the functional equivalent of count to 10, <laughs> you know, before you, before you say anything or sleep on it. See if you feel the same way in the morning. Sometimes we don't have the benefit of, of sleeping on it. So interacting with each other and, and recognizing that everything that we do together can be collaborative and creative, or we can go into a room with our defenses up and chances are the collaboration won't be as rich as it could have been. And it reminds me a lot of like the Zen 10 technique that I, I talk about it. And basically if you can wait 10 minutes and let that cortisol flush from your body, yes. you know, you're going to self-medicate, whether it's eating, drinking, or using a substance half as much, you're going to get half as angry. You're going to do all of those things. You're probably still going to do those things, but about half of the intensity that you normally would. So it's not as destructive and sabotaging. Yeah, I tell people Zen Tan, just, just get through 10 minutes, whether it's a panic attack or you feel like you want to binge eat. <clears throat> You'll do half as much, and then that's half as much you have to deal with. And if you yes. keep doing that, you're reducing that versus, you know, seeing people ruin amazing careers mm -hmm. because of a, a, a conflict that they had with another coworker. Sure. Very skilled, very credentialed, sought after people who literally, at least at that place of employment, ruined their, you know, their their reputation and everything there. So, so I think for companies, it's there's a lot of value to that. It's not just how do you communicate, how do you get along, but it's it's actually preserving your investment in that person's skill set and that investment in their demeanor yes. and their professional reputation. Absolutely. If you don't mind, I'm gonna sure I'm gonna take that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna use right. that and that's really powerful. That's that's a that's very powerful. And, and that is something, yes, that I will, I will integrate for myself and I will share that with, with others too. It is, it's, you talk about it in the context of the workplace and, you know, and I've also seen it in terms of people mm -hmm. uh, hurting relationships hurting yes. themselves. And so sabotage, sabotage, they were reactive and they weren't doing the Zen 10. They didn't have any emotional IQ. And, you know, when I work with companies, you know, one of the things that I talk about with HR departments, and I do a lot with healthcare companies, but we also work with, with the marine industry. Oh, wonderful. So, you know, we're, we're kind of all over the map with the different industries, but read the room and, and pick up on those cues. And, you know, I love that you said, take that sacred pause take that pause and gather your thoughts and, and it's okay to just wait. Yes. Um, versus yes. boom. Cause you know, 
Yes. So, Sometimes we may wish later that, yeah. that we had done that. It's interesting because there's something that you know, we've all been doing since the moment we were born, and that is breathing. And it's we don't we don't will ourselves to breathe typically. Mm -hmm. um, we don't um, control our breath, and yet it sustains us. And so, if we will take a breath if we will reconnect back to what's happening in our bodies, our mm -hmm. physiological response to the stress, if we will just take that breath, let that breath nourish us, use those 10 minutes, do the Zen 10, then we'll, we're in much better, much more healthy place to be able then to move forward um, with what we do want to have happen next. To be reminded that we value the relationship with the person, we value the career we've created. And, and so this moment is likely not one that we want to define all of these things. It could be, but it's better to be able to have the clarity to make the decision about that rather than allowing the stress response to do it for us. So. And the reality is it never feels good when you've had a reaction that you're not proud of. And, you know, with, with my company, we have over a hundred employees and um, it's really interesting because I'm very aware of the times, most of the times that I didn't handle something well, mm -hmm. that I did react or I came across frustrated or, or too harsh. The fact is, I've certainly done those things and I, and I cringe at looking at something. Okay. I would handle that differently now. Well, yeah, because I've got a lot more information and I've honed a few more skills and I, I look at things a little differently. But when you're building an organization and a company or, or a small business, everything you've got riding on it. Absolutely. Sure. Um, so sure. It, so we come across with really strong reactions. So I wish that starting out, like I knew therapeutically what to do, but to do it in the genre of a, a business was really challenging. Right, for me. right. You know, and it's also not something we're taught when no. you know when we go to college. Yeah. This this isn't a class. Yes. <laughs> You're taught yeah. how to make sure your company makes money. Yeah, and that is then something that as a society we value and we place a lot of value on. How much money has your company made? And and these are important things because. Sure, money sustains our lives, but what we're not taught is the fundamental structure that then can carry that company toward success or even yes. success, or can certainly um, cause that company to fail. And that is how do we, how do we as the people who are in that company collaborate together and work together, resolve conflicts, resolve changes in course that are beyond our control. Mm -hmm. If these skills are not identified and honed and worked on, then then you might make money for a little while, but it, it's likely not going to be sustainable. Yeah, and it's going to be miserable when you're, when yes. you're doing it. Yes. And, and I always tell companies, let's look at the dynamics. You know, are you, who owns your, your company? Is it a large, you know, conglomerate? Is it, you know, I, I work with companies that were started by best friends and, mm -hmm. and in our company, you know, we're, we're Walmart owned, but we're family run. Yes. Meaning that my husband and my son, my son's our COO. So that's a whole nother layer of dynamics. So shifting roles and, and those dynamics, the fact is that's real business stuff. Yes. And if you're, you have to be that healthy person to get those issues resolved or they will show up at work 
whatever. And I'm sure you see that daily. Of course, of course. Yeah. That's an incredible dynamic to, to work within. Many of the people, of course, well, most of the people at our company do go home and likely don't interact over dinner. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. We're spending the day with as you and your family do. And so it is, however, as owners, there's this mindset of, of, you know, we do want to have that work-life harmony and yet we might need to text each other about something that might come up later in the evening or email each other or call about something that might come up with a client or a customer. And so that availability continues, you know, for most of us, we don't necessarily see each other every night, but it's, but it, we are still <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. and, and we feel like that, you know, that is um, largely a key to our success because we stay connected. I'm sure it's the key to yours yeah. as well and your family's success. Well, I always, you know, I, I teach people, you can say hard things in a kind and respectful way. So I've preached that for years and I think I've done a pretty good job of that. However, with the dynamic of working with your husband and your son, I realize not only do I say those things in a, a kind way, but a loud way and in a more of an emotional oh, way. At times. Sure. So I've got to check myself sometimes. Sure. So like, okay, I can say that because you know, there is a different emotion when it comes with when you work in a company that has a, a lot of relationships. So, and I like with, with Paducah Bank, the fact is a lot of people have lived here. They've grown up together. Mm -hmm. They've gone to school together. They have a history yes. outside of work. And that history may be wonderful or not so wonderful. Great point. Great point. And what I heard you describing, what came to my mind was um, a sense of safety. Yes. So when you're there at home and perhaps the interactions are more emotional, you feel a sense of safety yeah. with them and be to be able to have conversations in that way and show them those emotions and they feel safe with you as well. And, and absolutely this, in fact, one of the things that we talk about at the bank, you know, many companies have, you know, core values. We have something we call our DNAs, sort of the thing that this, this outline of, of things that are who we are, our DNA. And one of those DNAs is that it's safe here, mm -hmm. that, that you can make a mistake. You can know that in the midst of that, you can say, that's mine. I, I did that. Mm -hmm. which, is, which is what healthy people do. Exactly. They own it. They take responsibility. We all have missteps and Absolutely. we all make mistakes. Yeah, of course. And to be able to, as someone with that person, to say, there's no blame. I am, um, we're not going to continue to remember this and bring it back up over time. Okay. Let's acknowledge what, what didn't go like we wanted it to. Let's make sure that we're correcting that path for going forward. And then we just go forward. We don't continue to think about, you know, well, that, you know, that person did this or that. So this sense of, of uh, feeling blamed, hopefully we rem have removed that. And, but, it's there or not there based upon the interactions between two people or maybe mm -hmm. a long time right. more. We each have to choose to say, oh, I'm sorry. I apologize. I made a mistake. And then the next one has to choose to say, it's okay. I'm here to help you fix it. And let's do that and move forward. So it is, it, everything comes down to choice, a choice in a moment of how we want to show up for ourselves and for each other. Another thing we talk about at the bank is something, and you don't hear this a lot in business, but it's called the three loves. 
And so we talk about love at Paducah Bank. Uh, but the three loves are, are this. We talk about how we want to make sure that we love our customers more than we love our products. You know, banks have checking accounts and sure. all these things. But we have to love our customers. The products are there to help ensure that we take care of those customers. We have to love our people. We have to love our team. If we're not loving our team and taking care of our team, they can't take care of our customers and they can't take care of the communities we live in. And we have to love ourselves. It's the, you know, again, the functional equivalent of the, the oxygen mask in the airplane. You can't fumble around trying to help someone next to you if you don't have oxygen. Right. You can't breathe. You exactly. can't breathe. And so put your oxygen mask on first. And so we remind ourselves that, you know, these are the things that we love, you know, ourselves, our people, and our customers, our community. And as we're reminded of that, then we can make better decisions about how we collaborate together. Well, I love that talking about the three loves. Yes. I, I love that. I think that, so you're, you really built a psychologically safe, um, loving culture that lets people, you know, be healthy people and healthy employees, which is, which is the goal. Yes. Of, and I think more and more companies are seeing the value in that from the performance, retention and revenue. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, that it, it, it is a win-win. And I think there's a, companies will say to me, well, I know it's going to be really, really expensive and we're just not in that place. And I'm like, actually, it, wellness doesn't have to be expensive. Right. It has to be effective. Yes. You know, yes. You don't need to waste money. So it needs to be something you can truly implement that will create or change that culture, but it didn't have to be expensive. So it sounds like you, and you know, in our community, you're, you're known as the wellness person, uh, which I love that. Very nice. So before we go, before we wrap up, I have to ask you about the labyrinth. Oh, oh yes, I, yes. I, I, I got to know. I have to know <laughs> how that came to be. Yes, in your in your yard because I think I want one. Yes, I'll tell you. It is. I'm so glad you asked about it. It is. Well, goodness, yes. We have a labyrinth in our backyard, and it was something for me that I think when I when I moved to the Episcopal Church, as I shared earlier, uh, 20 years ago, there was a labyrinth in the floor of the the parish hall it's called so it's the gathering yeah. place of course you know for meals and that kind of thing and so there was a labyrinth on that floor at about the same time you're probably familiar with our friends at the etc puppy shop in lower town love that place yeah. love 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 it love i can't stop saying the three loves now right. <laughs> exactly. you changed me today but that the etc and the owners, Alan and Johanna Rhodes, at the time they were the owners, their, their family, their, and baristas there own it now. But at the time they had the property right next to the coffee shop itself, and they put in a labyrinth. If you've been to Lower Town and gone to the coffee shop, you've likely seen the labyrinth that sits adjacent to the coffee shop right there. And so I just became really curious about it. And this, and I used to think it was a maze, you know, and, and of, of course, since learned different and, and we'll talk about that, but, but I, I began to research it to try and understand what is a labyrinth because I'd also seen it, of course, at my church. And so in reading about it and in talking to Alan Rhodes, who he told me about it, I learned that labyrinths have been around the, in the world for more than 4,000 years. They have been a tool that different religions and spiritual groups have used as for meditation, for 
if you know anything about sacred geometry, it has been a point of um, reverence that represents inner work and connection to higher power. And so in, in all the different descriptions that, that has, has been over the course of the centuries. And so what I also learned was that this particular pattern of labyrinth, there are several different that exist, came from a cathedral in Chartres, France. It's C-H-A-R-T-R-E-S, pronounced Chartres, France. And there's a cathedral there, and it is the floor of that cathedral. And, oh gosh, in this moment, I'm not remembering when that was built, but it's, it's, it's hundreds of years old. And so that pattern has been replicated around the world. People who have wanted to put them in, in different uh, places, including different churches you know, throughout the world. And it is the pattern that is in my parish in Paducah and the pattern that is there at Etcetera. And when my husband and I, we, we married and we had been living in an apartment in Lower Town and loved it there, but we're, we recognize we're getting a little older and probably needed to be some, somewhere where everything is on one floor. And so we built a house in Paducah. And one of the things that really was speaking to me for some time was having access to this labyrinth, a labyrinth, because I was beginning to sort of, I was looking at them online. I would spend time sort of visually tracing labyrinths online. And I thought, this is, can really be for me an important spiritual tool. And that is what it has in fact become. And it is a tool that I, the, here's why it's meaningful for me. It is a tool that allows an individual to enter in to this dynamic, this pattern, this path. And as you walk it, it takes turns and it has switchbacks and it goes out and it comes in. Ultimately, these paths and these changes in path lead to a center. The center you know, that that is then your your place of of energy of of source of love uh, for me and reminding myself um, of that. And then as you move into the world and you move from the center out into the world, it's sort of uh, that same experience. You have to go through a path, a design. It switches back. It takes turns. It curves. And then by the time you come back to the beginning. You've had this journey of, of going toward the center, reconnecting to center, pulling away from it, noticing what that feels like, coming back in, noticing what that feels like. And so having this opportunity in the end, if you walk it, it typically takes about 30 minutes. Just having this 30 minutes of, um, of opportunity to remind myself of what's important, of, of why I, I guess why I'm here, why we're all here, and how that can um, just sort of restore me and allow me to then go back and, and care for the people I, I get to care for. And so it was unusual when the neighbors, I think, <laughs> when they saw it, like, what's this labyrinth doing in the backyard and in the neighborhood? What is that exactly? Why are, yeah. are you walking in circles? Are you okay? And you know, it's there all the time. So it's what's really wonderful is to go out about 10 o'clock at night when the moon is shining and, and to walk it in, you know, in the moonlight. And 
and the quiet and especially you know after a, a, a challenging day to, to go out there and just have uh, that time it's a meditation I I'm a, I'm a practicing meditator if you will I'm practicing yoga yogi uh, also and so it's all different forms of meditation for me being on the yoga mat uh, being on the on the meditation cushion being you know, in, in church another form of meditation and then the labyrinth is a walking meditation allows me to move my body like yoga does in in a particular way to, you know to move my body while i'm it's a moving meditation so while i'm reflecting and and connecting back to center so yeah, yeah. so that's it I, I brought this book too this, this wonderful book that taught me so much it's called walking a sacred path it's about the labyrinth oh. or, or by excuse me lauren artress so if you're interested in learning more about a labyrinth yes um, i have to check that out um, it, it taught me so much i think it's a powerful exercise for people. And I think that's the thing that gets lost in wellness is people can look at it as not necessary, but they really don't understand how powerful it is to their career profession or to their personal life. Because, Absolutely. you know, I have seen people just deal with horrific things and terrible traumas and catastrophes and things. But if they have on their path to recovery, if they focus on health and wellness, whether or not they see uh, a therapist, I mean, that's a good thing if they do and you want that to be a good fit, but many people don't. Many people recover without talking to a professional and using things like what you described in their own life also results in a wonderful healing journey and a, and a wonderful you know, outcome. Of course. And, you know, I will say, you know, to add just all the way back to the beginning of, of you know, our conversation in my life story, the time I spent with a therapist was invaluable. When I went through my first divorce, had a, as I mentioned, a four-year-old son, I don't know what I would have done um, without the help and the guidance that my therapist at that time provided for me. And I'm so grateful when someone you know, at the bank or a friend may come to me and say, I, I'm thinking about this. And I'm so gratified to get to share names and phone numbers and and say please you know reach out and find the resources that that you need that are meaningful for you and 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 we certainly have these opportunities and and if we can remind each other and ourselves that yes these are important resources for our mental health and if we don't have our mental health we likely won't have our physical health and sustaining relationship family and in careers it, it will be it will be extremely difficult. So, yes. Well, thank you for sharing your oh, journey. Oh my goodness. Just exciting and just all the different uh, things that you've encountered and you've gone through and then also just uh, where you're at today and really lead people to change their lives, to live a much healthier life. So that's exciting. Well, Shelly, thank you so much. I can't tell you how much this has meant to me to get to spend this time with you. It's, mm -hmm. it is, uh, it's a, it really is a joy, you know, speaking of joy to get to share this and learn from you. And, and, you know, I, I do think that we're all each other's teachers and students. And so if, you know, in any, in any moment we can share and, and learn from each other, I think that's invaluable. So thank you so oh, much. You're so welcome. Thanks so much for listening to Shelley O'Neill from the Green Velvet Couch. If you're enjoying the show, please rate, subscribe, and review where you listen to your podcast. That helps others find the show and begin their own wellness journey. 
Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time, go live your best life.